0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by the Discover Amarillo app. This free download is designed to be a resource for new Amarillo residents and anyone else who wants to keep up with local events, activities, shopping, businesses, and more. It even maintains a list of family-friendly restaurants with kids-eat-free offers. And you can find out more at discoveramarellotx.com or head to your app store of choice to download Discover Amarello today. That's the Discover Amarello app now available for iPhone and Android. And as part of this podcast's partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout-out to Amarello College online at actx.edu. The latest issue of Brick and Elm just came out, Cover story is about the best brunch restaurants in Amarillo, and I wrote it, and yes, it was delicious. And you can read the free edition at brickandelm.com. Today's guest is Courtney White. Courtney is an attorney, but she doesn't work in a traditional firm. She's the assistant city attorney for the city of Amarillo. She's a government lawyer. And that's an interesting job to me, because it represents a different career path from what you typically see with students coming out of law school and passing the bar exam. I've seen Courtney at work, serving on a couple of city advisory boards, which Courtney was assigned to. She was also recently in the running to become president-elect of the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Now, she didn't win, but she learned a lot in the process, and she represented the Amarillo area well. We talk about that experience. Here's Courtney White. Courtney White, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Good afternoon.
0: Well, I'm glad that you're here, and we've known each other for a, lo- a long time. We've Several worked together years. Uh, on a, a number of projects, but I'm I'm happy to have you like in studio and, and do the podcast interview.
1: This is very exciting. Thanks for having me. Well, good.
0: <laughs> I, you're welcome, and I know you're a listener, so that that makes it even better. Um, I want to start with you though, the same way I start with all my guests, and just ask you why you're here. So, how did you end up in the Amarillo area?
1: I actually was born and raised in Amarillo. I went to St. Andrews all through eighth grade for okay. school, and then Amarillo High. After that, I went away for school for seven years and moved back here And I guess it would, gosh, it would have been May of 2012. Okay. So I guess here we Ten are. Ten years ago then. I'm a ten-year lawyer now. Scary.
0: Where did you go to school um, after high school?
1: Uh, I went to Wake Forest University for undergrad. That's in Winston-Salem, North Carolina.
0: And that is not close to here, and there must have been a very specific reason you (laughs) went to Wake Forest.
1: I was very fortunate and uh, was able to apply to a lot of schools out of state. Um, I didn't know where I wanted to go, and my parents had never sent someone to school before. So there's actually a guy in Denver. His job is that he is a college consultant, and he spends... Um, about half the year touring universities throughout the country mm-hmm. and the other half of the year with clients. He interviews them and matches them with schools that match you know, what they're looking for in a college experience, um, gives them a list of places to visit, apply to, and Wake Forest was a wonderful match for me. Okay, so
0: it wasn't like your parents didn't go there no. or anything
1: like that? I had never even heard of it.
0: My only familiarity with it is that it's occasionally a school that makes March Madness. Exactly. It's got a good basketball team from time to time. Yes.
1: Tim Duncan went there. That's right. Yeah. Um, And then Chris Paul. I actually missed Chris Paul by a year. Um, he, He started playing professional you know, the year that I was a freshman in two thousand five. Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Time so flies. was it was it a good experience? Like Beautiful. did it turn out to be a good match for you?
1: It was perfect. I was so fortunate to get to have the whole college experience. And it's a pretty self-contained campus. It's not like some of these more urban campuses that you see where, you know, you cross the street and you're just in downtown, right. or whatever city. Um it's your more traditional contained campus campus life is just flourishing there. Um, I was involved in a sorority. I was a tour guide on campus. Uh, So that was very fun to be able to tell people how much I loved Wake Forest. It's kind of a big, small school. At the time I was there, each class had like 1,000 to 1,200 people per per grade Mm -hmm. level. I think it's really grown since then. You know, that was were,
0: a while ago. Were you looking to get out of Amarillo? Like, was that, were you one of those kids who thought, I'm I'm going to leave and yes. get as far away Absolutely. as I can, All right?
1: Absolutely. I didn't know where I wanted to go. I just knew it wasn't going to be here. Okay. <laughs> um,
0: Did you know that you wanted to go into law? I mean, was that something in high school that appealed to you?
1: I always assumed that I would be a lawyer. Both of my parents are lawyers. Uh, and so I just, you know, I'm the classic, like, Oldest child, mm-hmm. type A, and I just always assumed I'd be a lawyer. When I was in college, I kind of decided that maybe that wasn't for me. I'm not really sure. You know, I'm learning about all these other things that you can do vague marketing jobs, things mm-hmm. like consulting. I don't know what that is. You know, but I saw my friends taking all these cool internships and things. And I remembered calling my mom one day. So I graduated from Wake in 2009, which was, you know, not a great time. Not a great time to be out (laughs) in the job market. No. So I remember calling my mom and I was like, I don't know if I want to go to law school. I need to sign up for the LSAT soon if I'm going to do it, but I don't know if this is for me. And she was like, Well, do you have another plan? And I said, Not really. And she said, Well, I think you ought to sign up for the LSAT. And so that's kind of how. (laughs) I am here, I, I did it, and um, I was lucky to be able to go to grad school and not have to find a job right then.
0: <laughs> Where did you go to grad school?
1: I did my uh, first year of law school at Ole Miss, and okay. then I transferred to SMU and graduated in May of 2012.
0: Do you remember much about your parents' careers, like when you were a kid? Um, it, you know, it's always weird. Kids don't always know what their parents do, but since both were lawyers, I, I wonder like how much of that was a little bit familiar to you.
1: A lot. I felt like my memory of it is that dinner table talk was about, you know, we all talked about how our day at school was or whatever and what was going on. And then we listened to them talk about their cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom, we never we always joked that she wasn't a real lawyer because she didn't really go to the courtroom, which is you know, what we all picture right. a lawyer doing. She wasn't Perry Mason. <laughs> she anything. was not Perry Mason. Sorry, mom. Um, she collects delinquent ad valorem taxes. So if you don't pay your property taxes on this beautiful home studio that mm-hmm. you're in, uh, she will sue you and take your house. So okay. everybody pay your property taxes. Like
0: that's that's her specialty then? Yes.
1: It's a very, very narrow specialty. Hmm. Um, her clients are school districts, all the taxing entities.
0: Okay. And I know your dad was in private practice, too, for a while.
1: So dad uh, did commercial litigation for years, probably six, seven years ago, went in-house at one of his clients, which Mm -hmm. is Amarillo College. Uh, So he went in-house about a year before I did. And growing up, I remember him just being your typical litigator, just really busy, at work. He traveled a lot. Mom was always able to make gymnastics watch day at All-American mm-hmm. Gymnastics. I don't know if they're still around, but, you know, and violin recitals and everything. And, and it was a lot harder for dad to make uh, that type of thing. And so my parents did always make a real point to have dinner together every night. Hmm. So there were a lot of nights when we had dinner and then dad went back to work.
0: Okay. Like once you took the LSAT and and got into um, the grad school portion, did like did you have any idea what kind of law you wanted to practice? I mean, do you have to decide that early, or do a lot of attorneys just kind of figure out their path later?
1: Both. Okay. Um, a lot of people go in saying, you know, I want to save the world through uh, you know practicing immigration law or mm-hmm. whatever. Some people go in really knowing what they want to do. Some people like me just kind of went in because it was a bad time to get a job. Mom and Dad said that said yeah. they'd pay for it, so
0: you could you could cut you off know. any decision making. Yes, for a few years.
1: very lucky there.
0: Did I mean did, did there come a point though where you thought okay, this might be a direction I'm going to head?
1: I never thought I would be a government lawyer. Really, never. I thought for a while I might want to do estate planning. Mm-hmm. When I was in private practice, I just did general transactional stuff. Legal writing is my strength. I really like writing. I knew I didn't ever want to do anything that would put me in the spotlight having to talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> Ironic.
0: <laughs> what did you do like right after you graduated and got your degree?
1: So you graduate in May, uh, take the bar exam in July, and then, I guess, so I moved home in August, uh, wait for results, and I went into practice at a small firm uh, that no longer exists, Irwin Merritt, Hogue Price, and Carthel okay. was the name of that firm. I remember that one. There were about 10 lawyers there. I was the only female besides the support staff. It and was you were fresh
0: out of school, too. Fresh so.
1: out of school, and it was the best environment. I've known many of those guys. Since I was young, you know, they've got kids that are uh, my age or, you know, to have just one of them, uh, John Irwin, his wife was a teacher at St. Andrews. So I knew many of those guys for a long time. It it was a beautiful firm. I loved it.
0: How long did you do that?
1: I was there for about seven, eight months uh, before uh, I got the just wonderful news that we were merging into another firm in town. So at the time, my dad was the immediate managing partner at uh, Sprouse Trader Smith. The guy that I was dating at the time was an associate at Sprouse Trader Smith. I loved that firm. I was a Sprouse kid growing Mm up. I knew all the traditions and I mean I loved everyone there but I got the news that we were merging into Sprouse Trader Smith. And you
0: thought oh there's a lot of complications with that.
1: (laughs) Uh, I knew that I loved the firm. I didn't know if I wanted to work there but you know it that is what happened with my career, and I'm really glad that it did because it it shot me out uh, over to the government eventually. Well, t-
0: yeah. So tell me how that happened because, you know, we've talked before that a lot of people think of an attorney and they don't think of the government side. They they, they think maybe of uh, a lawyer with private practice or somebody doing litigation or even somebody in corporate law. Um, but the fact that there are attorneys for the city of Amarillo or for the county or, or whatever that might look like escapes them until they, you know, run into one. What was your thought process when you you learned that that was maybe a, a path for you?
1: I knew that I was not happy at my current job, which was really difficult for me to admit. Since I've I've said I love the people, I, I felt like I was part of the Sprouse family, but I knew that um, it was not long-term a career that I could really maintain um, on, you know, and my level of happiness was not good. So uh, I think a lot of people can identify with that. Yes. My dad is good for good friends with Mick McCamey, our former uh, city attorney, and he was able to create an attorney one position. For those of you don't know, who don't know how government job titles work. One is at the bottom and, you know, you go, you could promote up to level two, level three, and on up to like department director, city manager, that kind okay. of thing. So he was creating an attorney one position with the goal of training someone to start at the very bottom of the legal department get institutional knowledge through the years and really be brought up as just a true government lawyer, um, hopefully to eventually be the city attorney one day. It was going to be like a 40% pay cut for me, but I was really fortunate to be able to apply for that job and get it. And I'm now an attorney too. So okay, that's exciting. So you've, you've Five and a half then. years later, I am an attorney too. What so. was
0: appealing to you about that? Knowing that you know the the path that you were on you weren't at your happiest working there. So, what was it about the city environment that offered? I mean, what, what was different?
1: I would say two different things. Number one, I knew that what I would be doing would really be making a difference in my community. I had decided to move back here after living other places, and I liked the idea of serving my community mm-hmm. every day. Additionally, municipal lawyers are one of the last groups of true generalists in the law. Um, In private practice, there's a lot of pressure to specialize and be like really, really good at this one thing like estate tax Mm -hmm. or, you know, some sort of special like corporate merger or whatever it is. There's a lot of pressure to specialize. I never really found anything that I really just was like, man, I want to do this all day, every day. In our office, we say that we do everything from airport to zoo, and that's really true. Every day is different. Uh, we practice family law, real estate, litigation, tax, everything. You never know what is going to happen, but we're we're serving such a diverse group of departments that um, it's really nice to be able to say that we really are generalists. We know a lot or a little about a lot. Okay. And we know, you know, when to hire outside counsel, we do that as well. So,
0: Can you give me an idea of what that might look like? Like, what are some of the things that you might be doing on a daily basis or a weekly basis or a monthly basis?
1: So generally speaking, my responsibilities are to oversee the public information program. So if anybody is looking for public information and it needs that request needs legal attention, I work with the city secretary's office on that. We're small enough that we all do everything, really. But I also review a lot of contracts. People don't really think about how many things the city buys, mm-hmm. but from office supplies to paint for the road to you know golf carts for the golf course, uh, we buy a lot of stuff, and those all come with contracts or terms. Yeah, and I mean, conditions. it's not like
0: you just go out and buy something. Everything's right. got to go through a process, and that process has to go through several steps because it's all using taxpayer money.
1: Right. So we review a lot of contracts. Um, I'm also in charge of providing legal counsel to several boards and commissions, which is how I met you. Right. Most of them are are advisory in nature. Uh, I do have the Condemnation Appeals Commission, though, which is exciting. So uh, we hear cases about substandard structures and uh, decide whether they should be uh, demolished or repaired or Whatever. So those are kind of generally speaking the big things that we work on. But just as an example of something random that, you know, came up recently, we've all seen the the unidentified Amarillo object. Right. While right. people from all over the country are really interested in that. And so I've been working on license agreements and uh, contracts so that uh, different television stations can run stories about okay. it. With
0: like the permission the of image, the city yes. to use the image and all that kind of yes. stuff. Yes. So is that that generality, is is that something that continues to appeal to you? Absolutely. I mean, it, there there is a specialty, I guess, at this point, and that it is all in service of a municipality, but you're still doing a, a wide range of things. Does that feel like, okay, this is what I'm built for? This is what I'm good at?
1: I love it. I absolutely love it. It, and just like you said, it's it's broad, but with it's through the lens of working for the government. Mm-hmm. and so different rules apply to us uh, than for private companies or for individuals. But I love that every day is different. I work with a great team, um, both in management and in the legal department. I'm hoping that this will be a lifelong you know career uh, niche for me.
0: How many attorneys does the city have on staff?
1: We have a very small department, and we're broken up into a couple different groups. So we have the civil group, which mm-hmm. is uh, my office. There's technically there should be four of us in the city hall office. We currently have an opening, so if anyone listening wants to be the deputy city attorney, okay, please apply. <laughs> um, so there's four of us, and we we're kind of the general full service law firm for the city. Okay, we also have. Uh, Two prosecutors. So if you get a traffic ticket or other Class C misdemeanor, you'll see our prosecutors over at municipal court. Okay. We also have a police legal advisor. So this individual is part of the legal department but is embedded over at the police department. So he offices right outside the chief's office, and he primarily advises uh, the police department and other code enforcement bodies sometimes on their legal matters.
0: I know that if, if people know you, it's most likely that they've worked with you because they've been on a board and, and you've been the you know the legal authority for that board. And I, I know that you're not the only one who does that, that there are, are several others. And I wonder like how you get assigned to the different boards. I mean, do you you get some say like I'm interested in public art, I want to be with the public art board, or I'm interested in parks, I'd like to serve with the parks board. Or is it just like, you know, who wherever there's an opening and whoever's available.
1: Both the structure was kind of set out uh, by Mick McCamey back when he hired me in 2017, I think it was. So at the time, I was a brand new government lawyer, and the purpose of us attending these meetings is to make sure the Open Meetings Act is Mm -hmm. followed. Uh, You're like the
0: scold of those meetings. Well, I always make the worst. People hate me for that (laughs) because you pipe up if the conversation is going off track, you know, and and is not following the. the law related to what can happen in those types of meetings. Yes, we always... We know you're doing your job. We always
1: want the public to be able to hear what happens in our meetings and be able to participate when it's appropriate. And that's what we're there to make sure happens. Um, So people don't like it whenever I'm at their meetings. But because I was a brand new government lawyer, I got assigned most of the advisory boards, which means uh, these are really our citizen outreach boards. They... They don't get to make any final decisions. So that's a great learning opportunity for how to run a meeting under the Open Meetings Act, and it's relatively low stakes because they're not voting on spending millions of dollars or anything anyway. The city attorney obviously will advise the city council. And the the more uh, political and final decision-making boards like the... Uh, The tiers boards, Mm -hmm. local government, corporation, the more kind of high-stakes ones, more political. The city attorney will do that, and then the rest of the boards kind of fall in between. Our uh, senior assistant uh, city attorney really enjoys the planning and zoning aspects, and she's really good at all that. And so she handles a lot of the boards that kind of fall into that area. Since there's only 3 of us, I still get to keep all of my wonderful advisory boards. I love y'all. Y'all are doing great work. So,
0: what's one thing that you've learned just about city government? Since you're, you know, if you started in 2017, you're still relatively new to it. You're not a lifelong careerist yet. Like, were there some surprises going in? Cuz I I find that a lot of people You hear people complain about the government all the time, you know, here in Amarillo, but they don't have any idea of like how stuff works. And I I wonder if coming into it as someone who had lived here and grown up here, like what was new to you or, or surprising to you?
1: I had never even been into City Hall, by the way, before I started, like went in for my interview. I'd never been into City Hall before, so I kind of had no idea what I was getting myself into. I think it's probably true of a (laughs) lot of people.
0: I mean, unless you're paying some Mm -hmm. utility bill, there's not a lot of reason to go into it if you're not serving on a board or going to city council meetings. Exactly.
1: Uh, So I really didn't know what to expect, but government is slow for a reason. And I know that it's very frustrating to people, but the processes that we have in place are perhaps sometimes too much, but they're to ensure that we're doing things right. Okay. And that takes time. Additionally, government is meant to be the stable part of our society. It's not meant to you know, move with lightning speed. That's mm-hmm. what private... Development is for, um, and private companies and innovation. Government's meant to be the steady, the constant in our society, and as a result, it is slow. And we don't love people complaining that we're slow, mm-hmm. but and we know that sometimes we're too slow. But it it's slow for a reason. We want we want government to be steady.
0: Yeah, I mean, people like to complain about red tape or bureaucracy, but like that's not put in place just to frustrate people, what I've found is that there's a protective element to make sure every dollar is being spent the right way with the right places and under the right authority, you know, so you don't have just somebody making decisions, you know, unilaterally that impacts an entire city. And and so there's a lot of gatekeeping built in for a reason. And that's that's bureaucracy. Um, maybe it shouldn't be a bad word.
1: Well, I do jokingly refer to myself as a low level bureaucrat on the regular, so.
0: <laughs> and and I've found working with the city and just on the advisory board level that the the red tape is important, um, that that stuff is in place to make sure all the right decisions are being made and not just as a, a meaningless thing to frustrate people.
1: For the most part, and I think you'll find this at any corporation or government body or family or anything, you know, any group. Uh, I think our employees are very professional. They take great care every day and are proud of of serving our citizens. Um, they're really good at their jobs. They take it really seriously and we're not out here to try to th- slow things down mm-hmm. or prevent you from doing things. You know, we, we have to follow safety rules and I mean, we, we really are, for the most part, our employees are really good people and very professional and trying to do the right thing every day at work.
0: I want to switch gears um, and because I know that you recently ran for a statewide position that was marginally related to what you do, but, but was kind of a, a big step for you. And I wonder if you can tell me about why you did it and what it was and, and what that process was like.
1: So, I recently ran for president elect of the Texas Young Lawyers Association. Okay. The Texas Young Lawyers Association, which I'll refer to as TYLA. Okay. Uh, not Tyler, Tyla, T Y L A. We represent all of the young lawyers in the state, which means lawyers in their first 12 years of practice. All
0: right. Doesn't matter the age then. It's That's just... actually a
1: recent change. Okay. So it used to be age related, but we don't like age discrimination because we're lawyers and nice people. Uh, we also have realized that people are going to law school later in life. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are choosing it as a second career and we want to be able to support. It's really more of a new, new lawyers, you know, support organization. So I am on the board of directors uh, for this organization for TYLA. I represent the panhandle district 16 and I ran for president of the organization, and it was very scary and very out of my comfort zone. Uh, I did not win in the traditional sense, but it was a wonderful experience uh, that I'd be happy to answer more questions well,
0: about. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm interested in it because you know a lot of people have heard of organizations like this, and you know, there are presidents and, and all that kind of stuff with boards, and I didn't realize that it was sort of a, a thing that you would campaign for. And, you know, was able to follow along because I follow you on social media and see that, oh, today I'm here and I'm talking to this group. I mean, tell me why um, why you wanted that title, given that you had to do a lot of work, you know, in the process of, of running for it.
1: It was a lot of work. Um, I knew that there were a couple of things that were really important to me related to the mission of TYLA and that I would never have this level of platform to be able to talk about serving new lawyers in the state in these ways. So I primarily talked about uh, mental health for young lawyers and Mm -hmm. law students. I had a really bad mental health experience in law school, and I knew that this would be the best way to share my story.
0: And there's a lot of... uh, I've heard stories about young lawyers get into, you know, a big firm where they're an associate and just the the work is intense and it's long hours. And there are a lot of people who burn out of that really quick. And I would imagine that's a fairly common problem.
1: Being a lawyer is a very difficult way to make money. Um, we, We care about our cases and our clients a lot. And we take on those stresses in addition to the stresses of our normal lives and as a government lawyer our stresses are a little bit different but you know like family lawyers and criminal lawyers mm-hmm. i mean we're dealing you know
0: with people's in, lives
1: yes and in, in in the most intimate of of issues that they're having and you know the level of uh, vicarious trauma that that lawyers experience is really, really high and scary. And so TYLA already has some mental health uh, resources for young lawyers and well for anyone that is looking for it. And uh, one of my things was that I really wanted to expand uh, the availability of those resources.
0: Did you feel like running um, for for a statewide position like that as someone from Amarillo, which is Pretty far removed from a lot of the rest of the state and and the panhandle tends to be forgotten uh did did, was that like a hurdle for you or did it feel like an, an extra challenge maybe that someone else might not have had
1: not necessarily and here's why we know that most of the lawyers in the state are in dallas and houston so in order to keep our elections fair we alternate between big city and small city every year okay so this year was a small city Uh, president election year. So it was me. And then the other nominee is Laura Pratt from Lubbock. She's a litigator at Brady and Hamilton in Lubbock. She and I were great friends. If you ever do anything like this, do it with a friend. We traveled together a good bit, actually. There wasn't
0: any mudslinging or anything like that? No
1: mudslinging, at least not that I've heard yet, Laura. (laughs) Um, And so we both sort of were from towns that we knew that people would be like, well, I think I had a great aunt that you know, was from there. Oh yeah, I drive through there on my way to Colorado. All of the things that we hear, you know, being from this area that people don't really come here and stop for a long time necessarily. So, uh, I think that we kind of faced the same hurdles when we were Mm -hmm. meeting people at like, you know, big firms in Houston or whatever.
0: Did, did that public aspect of campaigning feel like a personal stretch for you?
1: Absolutely, I'm extremely introverted. I've learned to pretend to be extroverted, um, but until I get comfortable with people, I, I I don't feel like I'm interesting. I don't. I I don't like walking into a room where I don't know people, mm-hmm. and so this was a huge stretch. I said earlier that I didn't win in the traditional sense of the word. But the confidence that I was able to build through the process has, I mean, is better than win or lose, like I I have that.
0: By stretching yourself, it it ended up being absolutely personally professionally beneficial. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you run again? Like is it something you can only do once or is it
1: I don't know. Eventually you'll not be
0: a young lawyer anymore. Like don't say that. You'll get outside that (laughs) twelve year window.
1: So I don't know if anyone has lost and then run again. I would not wanna do it again. It is uh, in the month of March I spent three nights in Amarillo. Uh, that's the month that you go campaigning. And I'm sorry, I didn't really answer your question about what's involved in campaigning.
0: Well, uh, I mean that's <laughs> fine. I, I can imagine like you've got, you know, all these people who are members of the bar and fall within the category. They're voting on it. And so they need to know enough to distinguish between you and your opponent. And and so yes. you're you're it's FaceTime with people, right?
1: Yes. You set up meetings at as many firms as you can. Uh, the rules are really strict to keep it fair. So you can't cold call any firms or groups. Uh, you have to either know somebody that can set up a, a tour for you or, you know, say like, hey, Jason, I don't know anyone at Baker Botts in Dallas. Do you I think your brother works there. Can you please put us in contact? And then you just literally walk office to office, Okay. hand out a brochure, give them a 30 second spiel and move on.
0: So it, it is like going door to door. It is. Really you're going is. attorney's office to attorney's office.
1: Which was very interesting because this was the first, since COVID uh, happened, this was the first like fully in person campaign that mm-hmm. we'd had because last year's campaign was all over Zoom for those folks. So um, it was interesting to see who's back in the office, who's never going back in the office. It, it was a weird situation out there
0: (laughs) i i wonder you know looking at how you've grown in your career how you've gotten more comfortable you've stretched yourself like does it seem surprising that this is what you're doing i mean thinking who you were at wake forest or trying to figure out if you wanted to follow in your parents footsteps like does this feel like a natural path for you to have taken or are you still like i can't believe i'm doing this but i'm gonna keep doing it
1: for my job yes for my involvement in TYLA, no. I am so incredibly humbled, honored, speechless about the fact that the directors on the board, in conjunction with former presidents and chairs of the board, would have ever given me this opportunity like we were saying before we started recording, like, I was like, you have to have interviewed like 200,000 people already if I'm next on the list. Um, like I'm a really hard worker, but I, I'm not the life of the party. I'm, I'm very quiet. And so like, it's still, I'm just so, so honored that they would have given me this opportunity to go out and talk about what TYLA does and and let our members know that we're here and we've got a ton of great resources. And it really wasn't about winning or losing, it was about telling people what we do. And the fact that I got to be the one to deliver that message was very special.
0: So you left here and you didn't think you were going, well, you wanted to get away from Amarillo and you not only came back, but you came back and like you work for Amarillo now. Is that a surprise to you? Or do you think you're doing something that you wouldn't have anticipated?
1: Absolutely. I kind of always thought I would end up in Dallas, and that's one of the reasons I chose to transfer to SMU. Uh, I I just sort of assumed that I would stay there. Turns out it's much easier to get a job in Amarillo when both of your parents are lawyers here. Okay. There was some name recognition. (laughs) So that's definitely helpful. Additionally, at the time, I still had all four grandparents. They all lived in Amarillo. At this time, I have three grandparents, and they all live in Amarillo. Mm -hmm. The youngest will be 90 in October. The oldest will be 95 in November. I'm the only grandchild on either side uh, that still lives here. And so um, there have been a lot of times when I've kind of been like, what am I doing it's a very hard place to be single <laughs> for one <laughs> um, but uh, and you know working for the government here and probably everywhere is uh, a really thankless job in, in the time that we're in right now People really don't like the city of Amarillo it's so it can be a difficult place to work and there are a lot of days when I'm like I can live anywhere and I live here. But I see all of my grandparents once a week, at least. I see my parents you know multiple times a week. I'm really close with them. I love my job. We're a real team. I love the you know the arts here. There's things to do. I've, I love my friends here. I never thought that I would be saying any of these things. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, being employed by the city has, has that made you see the city in a new light? Or maybe appreciate it in a different way that you might not have if you were even if you were still working as an attorney, but like at a firm.
1: Yes, I think that it has made me care about what's happening here. Okay. like I said before, I've never I had never even entered like set foot in City Hall. I mean, I'd parked when I went to something at the Civic Center, you know, I'd Mm -hmm. parked in that what used to be that big parking lot where Hodgetown is now. I'd parked in the parking lot, but that was it. And even as a, a young lawyer at a firm, I've, I mean, I didn't really care what the city was doing. I didn't know what was going on, and I didn't know I needed to know. And so now there's so much that goes on behind the scenes. There's so much that shapes our community that people don't know about um, or choose not to care about.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, or vote against. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I want to be clear that I'm expressing my own views here. That's right. Not the views of the city of Amarillo Attorney's Office. But there's a lot of really hardworking people that want our community to thrive. And whether it's that people just don't care or they're actively not paying attention to it or whatever, um, there's there's a lot of work going on and that's really cool to watch.
0: This episode of Hammerello hey is supported by the Texas Outdoor Musical, which is being performed nightly, except for Mondays, all summer in Palo Duro Canyon. Back in March of this year, I interviewed Stephen Crandall on this podcast. He had played the role of Calvin Armstrong more than 20 years ago for Texas, and this season returned to the show as its new artistic director. He said in that episode that he hoped to honor the ongoing legacy of the show, which is now in its 56th season, while also giving it a contemporary refresh. And he's done exactly that The show is so, so good Texas runs through the middle of August So there's still time for you to see it Reserve your tickets now at texasshow.com That's Texas-Show.com. And as in years past This podcast is the lead sponsor For the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest Which is coming up July 23rd at Starlight Ranch This fun event features live music Beer tasting, food trucks And a celebration of local beer culture You'll be able to sample beer from independent breweries from Amarillo, Lubbock, Dumas, Borger, and beyond. That's Saturday, July 23rd at Starlight Ranch. Learn more at StarlightRanch.com. Okay, I'm back with Courtney White. Courtney, this is the part of the show I call 8 Straight. 8 Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes an orange Alice Chalmers tractor from 1935, which was used in the Texas Panhandle oil fields. And I always thought it was cool just because it was a bright orange tractor. Um, You can learn more at panhandleplains.org, and you can see that vehicle. Okay, this is a, a relatively new question for Eight Straight, but I've been asking it lately. When you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for?
1: I hope to see more of an attitude towards community investment and civic pride. I think I want this to be a place that I still want to live in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know what my family will look like by then, but I want my friends and their kids to want to stay here. And there are a lot of opportunities for community investment going forward, and I hope that people will take advantage of them.
0: There's a lot of... A lot of investment in the corporate world happening right now with new businesses coming in and stuff being built and economic incentives and things that that all have kind of that 10-year span. And it, it makes me encouraged to see what's going to happen in 10 years uh, as long as the workforce is there for all of these these big projects. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of?
1: Adoptable animals. All right. I would like to give a plug to Animal Management and Welfare. Mm -hmm. I've adopted my two animals from there. A dog named William and a bunny named Harry Styles, spelled H-A-R-E-Y, Styles.
0: Uh, (laughs) I did not realize uh, that bunnies were adoptable from the city, but I guess I should not be surprised. That's one of those places that, that people have had some... Complaints about and that has has had some struggles over the past you know decade or whatever, and it's really good. It's really encouraging to see how it's reaching out more uh, and better to people and and getting more adoptions happening. So I know there's a lot of growth, but like I feel like we've made some really good strides lately. What does this area not have enough of?
1: Eligible bachelors.
0: Well, I, I can't speak to that, but I will trust you on it. <laughs> I imagine you uh, you have some expertise there. How do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area?
1: I describe it as home. It is not perfect. It's flat. It's windy. All of the things that we know are not perfect about it, but it is perfect because it's my home. It's my community. It's my family. Uh, And I think that anyone would say that about their own home.
0: Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant? Hummers. All right. I don't think Hummers I I don't (laughs) think anybody's mentioned Hummers on the podcast.
1: I even had my second birthday party at Hummers.
0: It's I mean, it's been around forever. It has. Why, tell me why you like Hummer's. Like, why is it, uh, why is it not just on your radar, but like in that favorite?
1: I mean, I grew up going there with my parents. I don't know if that's weird, you know, since I was a kid going to a sports bar, but, uh, I just, I mean, that's just always been the place that we've gotten burgers. They've got a great patio now that, you know, of course, old enough to enjoy an evening on the patio. Mm Uh, you can bring your dog to their patio. Uh, can you
0: bring your bunny? I've never
1: tried. I've never tried, but I do have a bubble backpack for okay, for, Harry, for Styles, Harry Styles. So I'll consider that. <laughs>
0: All right, what's your favorite coffee shop?
1: Not a huge coffee drinker, so I'm going to say Palace, but the Royal Bar location. Okay.
0: Palace later in the evening and towards yes. the back. Yes. When was the last time you visited Paladoro Canyon?
1: I'm not a great outdoors woman. Uh I don't really care to hike. Or anything it is beautiful out there but i think the last time that i went was november of 2021 okay my best friend from wake forest and her husband came to visit and uh he's really into stars i guess so uh there was some sort of meteor shower or something so we went out there at like midnight yeah uh pitch black but he wanted to see what it was like to watch this meteor shower and whatever they call it, like a pure black zone yeah, or yeah. whatever it's Without called.
0: Without any sort of light pollution. Yes. How was it? Like, it was did you see fine. stuff?
1: I just wanted to go home and drink wine, to be honest. like <laughs> It
0: was aggressively fine. <laughs>
1: it was fine. And it was November, yeah, like in the middle chilly. of the night, so it was not warm. Okay. He was really happy about it, so we indulged him. At
0: least he was happy. Okay. <laughs> uh, the last one is one that's just for you. What's one thing people might not understand about working for the city? And I, I know we've talked about a little bit of that stuff, but like, Give me one thing that that people don't get.
1: We're not out to get you. Um, our employees really, like I've said, they're they're true public servants. They're really, really good professionals. Like you may not know what a planner does, but mm-hmm. that, I mean, we've got a great planning department. I mean, people who have gone to school yes, for that for thing. for these specific things yeah. that we've never even heard of. There's and so really much good weird
0: expertise there is on staff at the city. <laughs> that I'm always surprised. I'm like, wow. This person knows what they're talking about, and I've never even thought of it before.
1: I always joke with Anthony Spinel, the uh, uh, environmental health director, that I'm I'm hoping he'll find me a registered sanitarian.
0: <laughs> okay, Courtney, <laughs> like that, that's
1: a thing. Yeah, I guess um,
0: <laughs> that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guest to endorse something. So, what's one thing you would want people to know about or to experience?
1: I would like to talk about the Amarillo Art Force. Okay. Uh, This is an organization at Amarillo College that raises money to uh, support the fine arts departments at Amarillo College. Uh, As we all know, government is underfunded. That includes especially the arts departments. Mm -hmm. So they raise money to fill in the gaps for things like funds for uh, the professors to be able to go to their summer training conferences uh they have bought piano benches for the pianos i mean things as small as that All it right. can be difficult to find funding for uh so they host a series of dinner parties throughout the spring and summer called cooking schools and you can buy tickets and go to those cooking schools knowing that you're helping buy things as simple as piano benches right. for their students
0: okay that's a good one, and that's a, a fresh one that I don't think oh. anybody's talked about before. Okay, so.
1: Hummer's and art force. Hummer's and art
0: force. You're you're bringing all the all the weird stuff. No, um, I I appreciate those, and I, I think it's important to know about all that kind of stuff. Um, Courtney, thanks for being on the podcast. I Thank appreciate
1: you. It. It's been a delight.
0: And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Courtney for the interview. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode and also to sponsors the Texas Outdoor Musical, the Discover Amarillo app, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Corey Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Barbara and Jim Witten, and Patrick Burns. This has been episode 256. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.